0: Hi, it's Ian Brody here. Welcome to the More Clients Podcast. With me today is Danny Inney. Danny is the founder of Miracy, the author of Teach and Grow Rich, which is about to be released in a new and expanded edition. And Danny is uh, someone I've been connected with online for probably the longest time, but we didn't actually meet face-to-face until last year. So uh, it's good to speak to you again, Danny.
1: Ian, it's a pleasure. Um yeah, we're we're you're one of the people I've known the longest in this online world. It's crazy that we only met in person Isn't that mad? Um back in March, so um yeah, it's it's just been good to know you for this long and I'm excited to be here. Fantastic. Let's jump straight into it. And um, we're going to be talking about online
0: education, the topic of your book Teach and Grow Rich. Tell us a little bit first about how you actually got involved yourself in online education.
1: Sure. So, my um I say that my background is in the education industry because I've been involved in teaching for most of my career, even though I have no like I'm not trained as a teacher. I'm not um I don't have like a degree in teaching or something. But in my personality, I'm very much a teacher. You know what makes me good at most of the things I'm good at come down to an ability to teach, which is basically about understanding something in its complexity and being able to explain it in a way that's somewhat simple so other people can get it. Um, but I've spent the last, um, six or seven years in the online business world, um, you know, learning marketing strategies, developing, um, kind of, you know, implementing them, doing them, getting results, having the, the audience and the market come to me and say, Hey, can you teach me how to do what you just did? And so I would create a course teaching them how to do that. And eventually people started coming to me and saying, hey, you know, you've got these courses that are really great, um, unlike a lot of the courses that are in this online business world in that they're clear, they make sense and students actually get results. Can you teach me how to do that, too? And so I've kind of gotten to the meta level of now teaching, you know, building courses, teaching people how to build courses.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you say that you um, you don't have a kind of uh, teaching qualification, etc. But a, uh, if I recall rightly, you've always been interested in methods of teaching successfully. I remember a discussion years and years ago about instructional design, for example, when the whole terminology and the whole world of um, online courses was relatively new to me. And it was probably you who kind of first pointed out that it wasn't just a matter of slapping together a few videos and throwing them out, but actually there was a, a way of producing courses that led to the, 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 the best learning and the best ability of people who've gone through that learning experience to actually go off and do something.
1: Uh, absolutely. And, and that kind of gets to the core of the way this marketplace is evolving. Um, you know, 10, 20, 50 years ago, If you want someone who knows how to do something, you look for usually a professional credential coming out of a mainstream university, Mm -hmm. Um, whether it's employers, whether it's organizations, whether you're just looking to hire a service provider to help you with something more and more. We're not looking for that very broad and very generic expertise, but rather very specific and focused knowledge. And, And because of that, our. Our consumption patterns for education is I want to I want someone who can teach me something very focused and specific that leads to a very direct outcome. And yes, I've been fascinated by education. If you think about it, there's something really magical. Like what we're talking about is taking knowledge, ideas and inspiration out of one person's head and putting it into somebody else's head. Like, th- that's kind of cool. We're, we're, you know, th- this is as close as we get to telepathy. <laughs> so it's pretty awesome. Well,
0: I suppose it um, depends on how you do it. I, I, you probably know the old joke about, I remember at a university where, you know, a lecture is the, something like the quickest path for, uh, taking information from the, uh, from the brain of the tutor into the notebook of the student with, without it ever passing through the student's
1: brain. <laughs> The, um... yeah, it's a it's a Mark Twain quote. He was right. uh, he was very critical of uh, of formal education. Right, um, well ahead of his time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, talking about online education, why, in your view, is it such a great time right now? A great opportunity for online education for someone wanting to get into it to
1: create online courses. So, it's really a good time because. It's just now starting to become mainstream, and I always have to provide context when I say that um, because a lot of people are like, what do you mean? People have been building courses forever, and there are so many people now who say they can teach me how to build and sell a course. And it's kind of the experience of being in a concert hall where you know the music is blaring. And people are like, it's so loud. How can anyone not hear this? But if you go out of the concert hall, walk down two blocks, like nobody knows what's going on. Mm. So in this world of you know internet marketing um, stuff, it has become somewhat mainstream. The broader world is just starting to wake up to the idea. A really good analog is podcasting. Um, you know, obviously we're recording this interview for a podcast. Everyone who's listening to this knows what a podcast is. But you know, a, a friend of mine, Jordan Harbinger, mutual friend of ours, actually. Um, when he goes to a conference, you know, he's a very successful podcaster. The most common question he gets is, oh, you you do podcasting. Can I get that on YouTube? <laughs> like people don't even know what it is. And And the state of online courses and online education is kind of in that place. When you look at the broad mainstream, people are just starting to wake up to what it is. And what that means is that whereas, you know, in the in the last decade or so, it's been relegated to very very small subsets of the broader market, um, the whole world's about to open up to this. You're going to have enormous numbers of eager buyers, eager consumers looking for someone who can provide something that that will fit their needs. And for the entrepreneurs who jump in and create something really great, A, they're going to do very well. They're going to create a lot of impact and they're going to cement their position as a leader in their space and in their industry because they'll just be there. You know, it's kind of right place at the right time.
0: Because mm, I guess – you know, as as you say, if you th- we've all, I think, and, and probably most people listening will have bought online courses, some form of online education before, perhaps even many courses. Um, but if, if, you know, if we think about our, our parents, our siblings, other people we know as friends, how many online courses have they taken? And usually the answer is probably zero. Um, it's still very much an open and just an emerging market. And as you say, becoming mainstream for normal people, I guess, rather than, uh, mm-hmm. those of us who spend our, our time online. And that's when, that's when the opportunity gets really exciting. Mm. So I think most people listening will probably be in some kind of service business. So we have a lot of consultants, a lot of coaches, a lot of trainers, accountants, surveyors, people like that. So when it comes to this opportunity for online courses, is it as simple as taking what you've been training live or what you've been consulting to clients about or what you've been coaching them in and just turning that into an online course? Or is there something more to think about in terms of finding the right topic?
1: Um, it depends a lot on not just what your business is, but what your goals are. Um, there's a line on Friends where Phoebe, she's a she's a massage therapist. Um, she's sitting you know, at the cafe on a Wednesday afternoon like they always do. And, you know, someone asked, don't you have work to do? And she's like, no, I, I taught a course to my massage clients on how to massage yourself <laughs> and they are. So basically, you know, she's, she's, she's worked herself out of a job. Um, and you absolutely don't want to do that. You don't want to just, you know, take your expertise, say, well, how can I package this up so that my clients don't need me anymore? Unless that's explicitly what you want. Hmm. You're like, I don't want to work with these clients anymore. So I want to give them something else instead. What you, Typically, as a service provider, as a as a professional of some kind, what you want to think about is how does this complement what you're already doing? And that can happen in one of a few ways. It could be that you are doing phenomenally well in your field, charging top dollar, and the big constraint is your time. Right. You, you, you're, you're doing very well for yourself, but there are only so many hours in the day. You cannot, you literally cannot take on new clients. And so then what you either want to do is serve people without them having to be your clients. So you can diversify your revenue in a way that isn't as directly tied to a, a trade of your time, or you want to supplement the services you're already providing so as to take you less time. So if, for example, um, when you provide consulting services, there is, An education or training component, maybe you can automate that through a well-developed educational experience or course so that the same client mandate with the same value doesn't take as much of your time. So you kind of want to say, am I trying to optimize the delivery of my existing services? Am I trying to um, kind of scale a revenue stream that I couldn't otherwise scale. Am I trying to diversify to a new segment of customer? Do I want to maybe reach a, a customer segment at a stage where they're not ready to work with me yet, either in terms of how far along they are in in whatever they need to be far along in, or or you know they're not quite ready in terms of budget? Like it's it's a stepping stone to broader services. Mm. Um, those are all really good use cases and. It's a different course that would that would fill each of those use cases. So you want to think through, you know, what is the problem I'm trying to solve in my business? What is the outcome I want? And then how will a course fit into that? I'm, I'm very critical of, of Maslow's hammer as it tends to be applied in our industry. A lot of people have heard of Abraham Maslow who created the hierarchy of needs. Mm. They don't always know that he also originated something called the law of the instrument. The idea mm. that, you know, when what you have is a hammer, everything it looks like, like a nail. nail. Yeah. And, and I don't like that. I don't like the whole, yes, everyone should be building courses and it doesn't matter what they're doing. It's like, yeah. no, that's not always true. Um, and you know, if your business is great and you love everything that's going on there, you know, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Yeah. And I think it's, it's important to note that,
0: that creating courses is a very different business model. Um, to live delivery of live services, both in terms of, you know, you're not interacting with people live. And I do know that a lot of people, I, um, I've worked with in the past or I know right now who are in service businesses get a big buzz from working live with clients, from being in the moment. If they're a speaker, from being live on stage and getting all that audience feedback. And that's not something that's necessarily going to happen when you're sitting at your, on your own on a computer recording a video for a training course. And, of course, it's a different skill set to be able to create courses. And it's a different business model in terms of, you know, when you're a consultant, for example, or a speaker, very often you will be paid before you deliver your service, or at the very least it will be confirmed that you're going to get paid. So you don't do it if you're not going to get paid. But with a course, um there are things you can do to make sure you're getting paid as much in advance as possible and you're certain it's going to hit the right market. But it's still a little bit of, you know, R&D product development and then payment downstream, certainly for the, the, perhaps the bulk
1: of the payment. So, so a lot of different things and it may just not be suited, suited for some people. I agree that it may not be suited for some people. I, I don't agree with all of the things that you said are different necessarily. So in terms of, for example, when you get paid, I absolutely think it's important to get paid in advance of mm. developing the course. Um, and it's not just good business which it is but it's also a matter of if people haven't given you money for the course you're going to create there is a good chance it is not the course that people will actually want to pay money for ever like you absolutely need that validation before you invest all the time that it would take to to create any kind of course i also don't think people have a very um very black and white perception of courses versus service delivery, where one is, you know, you're there, you're in person, you're working with the clients every day. Courses, totally automated, totally remote, mm. you're not engaged with customers at all. Neither of those things have to be true. There's a whole spectrum that both can fall on. Um, and, and corresponding to that is the question of price point, right? Courses don't have to be, and, and my argument is that they shouldn't be cheap. Um, but if they're, you know, just a bunch of automated information, it's not even really an educational experience and that doesn't justify a premium price. Mm. So there's a lot of room for variation and an important part of the course creation process is to create a course that meets your business goals and also aligns with the kind of work you're actually going to enjoy doing. Mm. And so, although you were saying there
0: that there's a wide spectrum and you're not kind of um saying that anyone has to fit at a certain place on that spectrum, would it be your suggestion that uh a good model for most people who are from a service background isn't to immediately flip to the completely automated this is just information model, but to have some more blended model where the online pre-recorded type information is augmented by some type of live um, support, delivery, etc.
1: Well, there there are two sides to that, right? There's the side of what makes for the best experience for the consumer, mm-hmm. but there's also the side of what makes for What, what will support you as a course creator in actually creating a good course? Mm. And a key insight here is that, you know, there is a complexity to creating a course. It's not, it's not a trivial thing to undertake. And what that means is that you're probably not going to get it totally right the first time. Mm. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't embark on it. It doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. It doesn't mean it can't be a great experience and it can't even be very profitable. Excuse me. But it does mean that you don't want your first attempt to be immortalized in, you know, videos in a membership site forever, because it just isn't going to be as good as it could be. And so my bias is that whether you want it to be eventually fully automated or not, the first rounds should be del- a delivered live, which live meaning either in person or remotely through the internet, but through a platform that will allow you to ideally see people's faces. Like if somebody's not getting it. You want to see that right away. Mm-hmm. You want to get that feedback as quickly as possible so you can evolve and adapt your curriculum and your delivery. You also want to be able to answer people's questions, A, to you know, give them answers so they can get results and you have case studies, etc. But B, because you want to track those questions. And you're going to have two categories of questions come up as you deliver your first course, what I call a pilot course. They're the questions that are unique to each student meaning there's no repetition, no two people ask the same question. Mm. It's just about their unique situation. And that's the kind of question that there is value for them to be able to get an answer to from a live, qualified person. And that's what they're likely to be willing to pay a premium for. And then there are the questions that a lot of students basically ask the same thing. And those are the questions where it tells you that, you know what, maybe something just wasn't as clear as you thought it was Mm. in your course. Or maybe there's something you need to add to the curriculum. And once you take all those questions that a whole bunch of people are asking the same thing, you use that to inform the evolution and improvement of your course. That's when you're ready to codify it, A, because you're going to have a much better experience for your customers, and B, because it minimizes the the questions they need, to the, only the ones that actually require an answer from a smart person in real time, which means that even if you're charging a premium, it's still – it's still scalable and cost-effective for you to provide a level of support that gets them to the outcome. Mm. So,
0: in many ways, creating a course is just the same as creating a piece of software or creating any product, really. You, you you iterate and you you start and you get you you use feedback. You don't assume that you'll be able to get it right first time. I delivery, yeah.
1: mm. as, as a consultant or a coach, I mean, the first time that you work on a particular kind of project, most of us know that, you know, it's going to be a little bumpier and we're going to have to spend a little more time. And typically, you know, the the extra time that we spend because we're just not as savvy at this particular thing yet, we eat that and we treat that as part of, you know, this is part of the learning curve.
0: Mm. So it sounds like if you, if you want to create a really good course that really delivers for clients, then probably the best motivation to get into doing courses is not because you never want to speak to another client again, <laughs> because the, the, the actual process of creating the course is going to be a transition from working with them, getting feedback from them, as you said, ideally seeing their faces so you know whether they're understanding it or not, um, moving towards then codifying it so it could be maybe delivered more automatically.
1: Well, here's a question of what's the alternative, right? I, I don't think it's a good headspace to be in <laughs> to say I don't want to work with another client ever again anyway. But if that is your headspace, I would still argue that courses is probably a good way to go because, yes, you're still going to have to work with people in the short term. But in the long term, it lets you scale that down. Whereas your alternatives, you're going to have to do that in the short term and in the long term. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Or, or you're going to just switch straight to doing it automated, but get it so badly wrong. Nobody buys it. So, uh, that's not going to help you.
1: Well, not only does nobody buy. So, so this is really interesting because, um, something that a lot of people think is that marketing is the be all and end all. If I want to be successful with my course, the most important thing is that I be a good marketer and be able to sell it. And this is actually very untrue. In fact, being too good of a marketer can really screw you in the long run and we see that all the time in our industry. We're in an industry that has lots of really great marketers and lots of really lousy course creators and mm-hmm. teachers. And what the, the the truth is that marketing is important when you get started. Right? Your first round of selling your course, the marketing matters the most because it's all people have to go on. Right? If if you're presenting a brand new course to me as a prospect, the only thing that I can form an impression based on is is the marketing. You know I can't ask my friends, I can't ask past students. I can't look for feedback on the internet. You know how is this course? What results has it gotten people because it's new. Nobody's gone through it, and if the marketing's good, I will buy it and If you're a great marketer and you're not mindful of the customer experience and supporting your students to get results, you just might enroll thousands of students as we see with some of these multimillion dollar product launches. But if you enroll thousands of students into the first draft of a course and you're not a great teacher, then very likely a lot of those people aren't going to be successful. And that's why we see in in our industry a lot of cases where you have this big multimillion dollar launch. Maybe you have another one that's a little smaller six or eight months later. And then you never hear about that product again mm. because, you know, if they've been at this long enough, they know that, you know, by the time you get to that third launch, enough people have gone through the course, tried to try to get results, seen they didn't work. And your third launch is going to be a disaster because your customers are, or your prospective customers are going to say, hey, who's done this before? And, you know, it, it, it can be really exciting to think, oh, wow, you know, I can make millions of dollars overnight. But that is how you really sabotage your business and your reputation in the long run. Mm. Not a great method to go down.
0: Just, just going back, we we're talking about the model of courses uh, the, the just thinking of it is pure information is not necessarily the, um, the best way of thinking about it. And uh, especially if you want to get a higher price point. And that relates to, to the next thing I was thinking of, which was, one of the really interesting things for me in the, in the online education world um, has been the emergence of Masterclass.com, for example, where you can take a training course from Aaron Sorkin on screenwriting or Dustin Hoffman on acting or Serena Williams on tennis, Gordon Ramsay on cooking, et cetera, for $99. Um, so, I mean, for me… That I think that's going to have a really big impact in a couple of different ways. One is what you talked about right at the start. It's going to make taking online education much more mainstream. So when you get well-known industry figures, spearheading or figureheading courses like this, it's going to obviously bring a lot more people into online courses than, than, than have been previously. And once they've taken one, they'll be much more willing to take another. So that's a really good thing. On the other hand, that can look quite frightening. If you're a small service provider thinking of doing online courses, you're not a big name.
1: you know how on earth can you compete with Dustin Hoffman, for example? So I love that because I agree with the first part of what you said like this is really the biggest hurdle for this to go mainstream is for people to realize they can take an online course, not with a university, yeah right? Like that's the big thing that a lot of people don't even get yet. And, and as they start to realize it, the market just explodes for us.
0: Absolutely. Because and then as an individual, it means you don't have to sell the concept of taking an exactly. online course. It just means you have to sell your particular course. Exactly.
1: Now, I don't agree that there's going to be a, you know, why should I take an acting class from you when I can take one from Dustin Hoffman? Because These courses, it's not an educational experience. I'm actually I'm I'm going through Aaron Sorkin's screenwriting course right now. Um because I'm a huge fan. I love his work. Mm. And it's fascinating, it's interesting, I'm enjoying it, it's entertaining, but it's not an educational experience. Right? It's a really good analog would be if you take a book like Stephen King's On Writing. Uh, which is, you know, part musings, part story, part, you know, it's not, it's not a comprehensive course or anything in any way, shape or form. And you turned it into an interview or video format. Um, and in fact, something I found, um, kind of funny was in, in the very first, in the introductory video, Aaron Sorkin apologizes and he says that, you know, I'm, I'm not as eloquent spoken as I am in writing, which I don't know if that's true, but you know, he also says, you know, I tend to go on a lot of tangents when I'm speaking. And it's like, well, That is why you, you plan out your lesson in Mm. advance, right? But clearly that's not what happened. And, and it's very understandable. He's, he's a very talented, very successful, very busy guy. And I'm sure, I, I don't know how their model works, but I'm assuming he came into the studio. He sat down. He, you know, had a bunch of talking points. He just talked and explained. They got a whole bunch of video, spliced it up and did the best they could with it. And it's interesting, right? There's a lot that you can learn, but. It's not analogous to you know if you were to take to teach a screenwriting course at Stanford or something mm. i mean just in terms of the volume like you're looking at thirty five um lessons and lesson is is you know it's the average one is like eight minutes long yeah. that's the equivalent of like what one one week's worth of classes in in an actual course and, and of course there's no great. there's no
0: feedback either they they have little sessions in there for example, where they um, they have some of the kind of selective neophyte screenwriters and they read a few pages from each of their script and, uh, and then Aaron gives them some feedback. Um, but of course, that's not feedback on your script. And of course, they're all super talented. Their first drafts are really good.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I was, I was thinking that exact same thing. Like as neophyte screenwriters go, these people are really good. But you know, it does a great job of, again, entertaining. It, it mm. illustrates points, which is great. But it's not an educational experience. It's, you know, it's like I'd love to hear Aaron Sorkin's thoughts on screenwriting as opposed to learn screenwriting from Aaron Sorkin. And so I do think and and this is where it becomes really interesting because I've been talking for a couple of years now about how there is a place for information. There's a place for education. Information is typically cheap. Um, and you know, the, the real world analog is a book in a bookstore. You go, you buy it. It's not expensive. And once you've bought it, what you do with it is totally up to you. Nobody owes you anything, not the writer, not the, Mm -hmm. not the bookstore owner, not the publisher. It's on you. Whereas with education, you don't, you're not buying a diploma. You can't buy a diploma. What you're buying is the opportunity to earn one with the help and support of a teacher. There's a partnership. You and the teacher are both responsible for your success. And that's the difference between information and education. It's not about the media. It's not about does it happen in person or does it happen, you know, in text or video or audio or whatever. It's about who is responsible for your success. When I sign up for Aaron Sorkin's masterclass on screenwriting, Aaron Sorkin has no responsibility for my success. And that's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just it's, you know, it's information. That's what it is. Mm. And $100 for good information Well produced from Aaron Sorkin, totally justified. Now what that means though is that if I can get information from Aaron Sorkin about screenwriting for $100, I'm not going to want to pay, you know, Ian Brody $100 to learn about screenwriting if it's information.
0: Mm.
1: On the other hand, you know, maybe I would love to pay $2,000 for an in-depth course on screenwriting from Aaron Sorkin, but Aaron Sorkin isn't delivering that course.
0: Nor is He's he
1: likely to, no. Yeah, it's just not going to happen because the fact that, you know, he, the master class could get him for a couple of days to record these interviews. And that's like the, the, the most they could get. That's a big deal. That kind of tells you for this education to be provided in a meaningful way. Aaron Sorkin's just not going to do it. And once he has, and, and this is wonderful for people who want to be teaching screenwriting because You know, you don't have to convince people that there's a lot for them to learn about screenwriting or they can take online courses about screenwriting. Aaron Sorkin has done that for you. Now you just can step in and fill the demand of the market. And, you know, at $100 and, you know, there's a split between Masterclass and Aaron Sorkin, however that works out. You've got to move a lot of volume Mm. for it to add up to a meaningful amount of money. So you need Aaron Sorkin's name behind it. You need a marketing machine. At $2,000 or whatever, you know, premium price point might be, you don't need anywhere near the volume nor, you know, money that is meaningful to you or I is not necessarily money, money that's meaningful to Aaron Sorkin. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of the people listening to this would be very happy if they could build a course that they deliver a couple times a year, whether it's, it's delivered live, whether it's automated, but you know, it adds a couple hundred thousand dollars to their revenue. Maybe a few tens of thousands of dollars, maybe a few millions of dollars, like somewhere in that range, mm. right? That's that's amazing if you can do that part time on the side, supplementing and supporting the rest of your business. That's just not what Aaron Sorkin's going to do. So I don't see it as as competitive. I see it as very complementary, and, yeah. and I actually find it really exciting. Indeed, so the kind of masterclass courses are kind of the gateway drug to online education, mm-hmm.
0: but it me- it does mean that if we want to be successful with our courses. We can't just do a, re- a replica of that model. Um, exactly. That model is all about just information, but to a real mass market that needs a big name and a big marketing machine behind it. Ours needs to be more. It needs to be more about education. It also needs to be more about results, actually helping people get a tangible outcome, I guess, rather than just snippets of information. I mean there's some really great ideas in Sokins' um, class that you know I've made notes on it, but, but now I've got to think about how am I going to put that into practice? How am I going to turn these great ideas I've just seen into something that would help me? In my case, it's not about writing a screenplay. It's more about writing emails and blogs, etc. I'm trying to use the the knowledge in that sense. But but, but there's nothing that I get from Masterclass that lets me take the next step, whereas a, a higher level, more premium course from someone like us should be able to do that. Well, here's the
1: key difference. And, and this is what's really interesting, right? The, the, the the fundamental philosophical difference between information and education is that, you know, with information, it's all on you to do it with it as you wish. With education, there's a partnership. Mm. Because of that, they serve different purposes. Information is great to broaden your horizons to know something was possible that wasn't before. It's great exposure to new ideas. It's great for inspiration. It's also great as a reference when you've already learned something, right? Information doesn't need to be stored in your head necessarily. So it's it's great for all of these things. And if you already are an expert, it's a great way of of integrating new knowledge into your expertise. So for example, a friend of mine, um, Sean Platt, he's a brilliant writer. Right. I'm sure he will experience a lot of, a lot more benefits from this course than I do because it's not just inspiring him with what might be possible. He understands a lot of the nuances behind what's being said. Mm. Information is not good at creating transformation. It's not good at taking someone from a certain level of competence or capability and bringing them up to a different level. For that, you need education. And again, both of those functions are very important, but they're different functions. The the only problem is when you try to use one for the other.
0: Mm. And I guess that really leads into to the next question I had in mind, which was so what do we do? If we if we are thinking of producing online education, online courses, how do we turn them into genuine learning experiences for our customers and make sure they don't end up Either just as a, an information product, a really good information product, um, like the masterclass.com products, but that's not what we're aiming for or a, a really bad version, which is a $2,000 product that purports to be training and education, but really is just, just a collection of videos that people watch and go, Oh, that was interesting, but essentially end up on the shelf and really don't result in a change in people's lives um, mm-hmm. for the better. So what, what are the kind of steps to, To do that, what do we? I guess, I I, I guess, what do we have to think about? What are the major things we should think about when it comes to making a course that actually delivers?
1: So, the first thing you want to think about is scope. Um, With information, scope can be much more broad. Um, Whereas with education, you want to be focused, specific, and outcome-oriented about an outcome that that the the consumer, the student cares about achieving mm. you know i'm I'm picking on aaron sorkin and and i don't mean to be because i I'm actually really enjoying the master class mm. I'm a huge fan of his work, but there is no implicit promise that you know when you go through once you've gone through this course, you will be a better screenwriter. You will not master any particular element of screenwriting; it will expose you to a whole bunch of ideas it will inspire you mm. it will spark. You know, interest and thought in your mind, but there is no particular promise transformation. With education, there must be. So you want to think about not what do you think is important for people to learn, but rather what do your students want to not just learn, but what did that, what should that do for them? What do they want to get out of it? What is the outcome? And, and I often tell people you want to think about what is the minimum viable outcome, right? So not what's the most transformation you can deliver. What is the least transformation that you can deliver and that they'll still be happy with and that's good as your initial focus then you want to map out your curriculum you want to validate map out at a high level mind you don't mm. go into too much detail because you're not going to get it all right anyway but map it out at a high level and use that to enroll your first group of paying students and this is very important because until people have a raised their hand said they want it and b said they want enough to put money on the table you don't know that that you, what you have is viable. You, you're only guessing that this is what they want. So validate that they want it, enough to pay for it. And then you deliver it, and you are very present and attentive to what their needs are, where they're struggling, so that you can help them and evolve the curriculum as you go. But that's it. Fundamentally, you want to choose a narrow scope that is very focused on an outcome that they care about. You want to obviously deliver and share your ideas in a way that leads to that outcome. And you want to ask yourself, honestly, are the majority of the people who sign up for this likely to be able to succeed with just this? And the answer is usually no. And if not, what support do I need to bake into it to get them to that finish line? And make sure to do that. If you have a narrow focused scope that is about an outcome people care about, you evolve your curriculum to eliminate all the speed bumps that are going to get in people's way and you bake in the support that will get them there, that absolutely justifies a premium price it's going to lead to a lot of happy and successful students that will tell more successful students you're going to have a wonderful virtuous flywheel whether it's to replace revenue streams in your business or supplement or act as a stepping stool to bring more people into your orbit it can do all of those things but you you have to build it right first
0: Mm. and i guess that that focus on the outcome that people want and then building your thing I'm calling it a thing here rather than just training because it's a lot more um, that enables you to charge that premium price. I think a lot of people are quite frightened of charging premium prices for online training, because perhaps they're in the mindset of seeing it like a masterclass, that's just provision of information. And information is essentially a commodity if you don't watch it, unless you magically got some new information other people don't have. But if it's all about delivering to an outcome and absolutely doing everything possible to make sure, as you said, the majority of your students can definitely get to that outcome through your program, then then charging a premium f- for it is, is no problem at all because the, the ROI for
1: the students is, is huge. And, and ultimately, people don't – what sticks with them isn't the price tag. What sticks with them is the outcome, mm. right? People can be very dissatisfied with a $200 quote-unquote course they got or they can be very happy with a $10,000 investment, of course, assuming it delivered. Yeah. Right? And, and yes, the more they spend, the more frustrated they're going to be if it doesn't deliver – but, you know, any, any successful entrepreneur service provider knows that you don't build anything worthwhile if you're in the business of not delivering. Yeah.
0: So final, final question. What you've gone through the, the step by step process there that someone would go through to create online education that really delivers. What's it? What's it? What's the
1: best way to get started? Um, the best way to get started is, you know, we talked about the difference between information and education. Mm. Um, Information is meant to present new ideas to you, to inspire you, to show you what's possible. Education is what gives competence and transformation. Um, a podcast interview is information, mm. right? So people listening to this can feel, you know, oh wow, this is a great thing. I could do this. This could be great for my business. The next step is to start actually learning how to do it, um, because like anything worth doing, there's some complexity and, and nuance to it. Um so i would encourage anyone can i do my little plug here you can indeed <laughs> so um I, I do teach people how to do this and what i would encourage anyone listening to this is start small start by learning more about just the ideas that i'm presenting um, my book teach and grow rich is coming out in second edition at the end of the month the current month as we record this is january and if you want to a, get on the notification list that you can get a digital copy for free when it comes out because we're going to do that free for a five-days thing. Um, you can go to teachandgrowrichbook.com. And if you want a hard copy, if you want to pre-order a physical copy of the book, um, we've got it available there, uh, teachandgrowrichbook.com for pre-order with a whole bunch of bonuses. But the first 50 people who go there and use the coupon code I A N B. Um, they'll, they'll get it for free. So use the code ENB, I A N B at teachandgrowrichbook.com. And the first 50 people to do that will get, um, a physical hard copy of the book in the mail plus a whole bunch of bonuses all for free. And if you're not in the first 50 people, you'll still be able to get on the notification list. And yeah, I, I, you know, I hope you love it. I'm, uh, I'm really proud and excited about this book. Excellent.
0: And as, as you were saying earlier before we came on live, you just finished it on New Year's Day.
1: Yeah, self-publishing timelines, right?
0: <laughs> that's right. But, but it's a great way to start the year. Great way to start the year. So, thank you very much for that, that's That's that wonderful. Thanks, thanks for that offer. I'll put all the links and the code underneath. Um, the podcast on the website. So if you're listening on iTunes, um, rewind a little bit, you'll get the codes or go to ianbrody.com. Um, look for the blog post with the embedded podcast and you'll see links there to teach and with the Ian B short code, um, a coupon code to get the hard copy of the book for free along with all the bonuses. Danny, it's been a pleasure as ever.
1: Hopefully I might even see you again this year at some point. I will look forward to it. Maybe same place we saw each other last same year.
0: Place, same place, not quite same time, but same place. Cl-
1: close <laughs> enough.
0: <laughs> Speak to you again soon, Danny. Cheers.
1: Awesome. Thank you.